So I'm told that five-year-old Brian had just one line to recite in his church's Easter program. But when it was his time to recite that line, he forgot. And so the director went up and reminded him of his line, after which Brian took the mic very confidently and shouted, he's in prison. <laughs> he should have said that he's risen indeed, but he confidently said he's not here, he's in prison. <laughs> now the biggest news event headline of all time is Jesus' miraculous resurrection from the, from the grave, from the, from the tomb. It was nothing short of a miracle. In fact, all of the gospel writers um, recorded it from their own unique uh, perspective. And so Mark wants us to know that the exceptionally large stone that had sealed the tomb's entrance, that it had rolled away of its own accord, revealing an empty tomb, an empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, in fact, was one of the women who um, had gone to the tomb that morning to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And Mark records the angel saying to them, do not be afraid, you seek Jesus who was crucified, he is not here, he is risen, see the place where they laid him. Now Luke wants all those who are dejected and despondent by life, and by the circumstances of life, he wants them, those who have locked themselves behind doors of oppression and fear. He wants them to hear this message. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen from the dead. Now John, he does not want us to miss Jesus's personal appearance to Mary Magdalene, to doubting Thomas, as he got to personally see the scars and wounds on Jesus' body. John doesn't want us to miss either Jesus saying to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. If, you're si if, I'm sorry, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now as we come to Matthew, however, we find that Matthew zeroes in on the Great Commission the command that Jesus had given to his disciples uh, on the Mount of Olives before he ascended to his Father in heaven. This happens to be our focus this morning. So the text is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I will read as you follow on the screen behind me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always." 
to the end of the age. So we've all come together again on Easter Sunday morning to commemorate the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. We've sung about the great stone having rolled away from the tomb. We've sung about the empty tomb. We've heard the angel's words, he's not here, he is risen. But we are an interesting mix of people, aren't we? In fact, two groups of people are here this morning. There are worshipers and there are the doubters, the skeptics. I want to say to us, first of all, this morning that Jesus wants to change you from a skeptic to a worshiper. And when they saw him, Matthew writes, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So there are two groups of people. The people who hear the news of Jesus' resurrection, they fall occasionally or usually into two camps. One camp consists of worshippers, people who ascribe worth to God. They find God worthy of every accolade that you could give him, of praise and honor and glory, and so they worship. They acknowledge the power that it took for God to raise Jesus from the dead, and it did take power. That is no ordinary um, occurrence at all. And so they first give themselves to God, which is the highest form of worship, and then they use lip and tongue and heart to sing and to extol and to affirm God. And so today you and I join millions of people all across the world giving worship, praise, and honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ who came up from the grave. I believe that today people all over the world are singing the very song that we sang this morning, which happens to be my all-time favorite Easter song. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Now Mary Magdalene, she was a worshiper. She was devoted to Jesus. And the reason she was so devoted to Jesus was that Jesus had cast not one, but seven demons out of her. He had freed her from demonic possession and demonic oppression. So Mary knew what enslavement was before she knew what freedom was. Jesus had rescued her saved her from demonic oppression. So Mary had been at the cross watching in horror and sorrow as they crucified him. We find her at the tomb wanting to give Jesus one last act of devotion to anoint his body with spices and to prepare it. And so as she is there in tears, because you see sometimes your devotion to Jesus is expressed through tears. Sometimes tears of sorrow, sometimes tears of rejoicing, but tears nonetheless. And as she's there in tears, an angel 
uh, says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, don't miss the important detail in Mary's response. She responds this way, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And so for Mary, Jesus was not only her savior, the one who had rescued her from demonic oppression and possession, but he, but he was also my Lord. He was her master. She was his servant. Now in October 2019, 25-year-old Tyler Moon took part in a 10-mile marathon through the city, the city of Minneapolis. Wanting to de declare his faith openly, he thought that he would put uh, on his uh, running breastplate the news that Jesus saves. And so as he is running around and gets around maybe the eight-mile mark, Brian, I'm sorry, Tyler suddenly has a heart attack and he collapses on the track. But the first among the people, the several people who came to render first aid and to resuscitate him and to help him, the first among them was a registered nurse named Jesus Bueno. Now, those of you who know Spanish know that Jesus means Jesus. Good Jesus is what Jesus Bueno means. And so literally, Jesus saved Tyler Moon that day. Now, for many, however, Jesus saves is only a slogan that you find on a bumper sticker or maybe on a, on a billboard somewhere. They, they have no idea what that term really means. So I want to tell you this morning what the term Jesus saves means. It means that Jesus suffered, bled, and died on a cross so that you might be forgiven of your sins released from any penalty or guilt or shame that you have. And that by simply placing your faith and your trust in Jesus, no works, no money is involved, simply faith. Jesus forgives you and releases you from your sin debt as you acknowledge him as your personal Savior and Lord. Here's what John 3.16 tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, nobody is excluded from that term, whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but there's something, there's always something about women weeping that gets to me. I'm not telling you that Randy sometimes weeps and that gets to me. I didn't tell you that in church. But there is something about women weeping that just gets to me. And it gets to Jesus as well. Because here we find him saying to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Who am, whom are you seeking? And Mary is thinking that it's the gardener speaking, uh, speaking to her. And so she responds, sir, if you were the one who carried away his body, tell me where you have laid him and I will retrieve it. And then Jesus calls her by name. I want to ask you this morning, has Jesus ever called your name? There's something about the way that Jesus calls your name that causes you to recognize who he is. And that happens in Mary's case. She recognizes his voice. And her response then is Rabboni, which means master, Lord. 
She grabs on to Jesus, which causes him to say, Do not cling to me, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And that is exactly what Mary does. She goes out and she, because of her devotion to Jesus, spreads the message of his resurrection. A 20-year-old freshman, Lauren McCain, she was one of the students killed in, at the Virginia Tech shooting in, on April 16, 2007. And she left this statement, on her, statement about her faith on her personal website. I quote her, The purpose and love of my life is Jesus Christ. I don't have to argue about religion, philosophy, or historical evidence because I know him. And the word know is written in capital letters. So to know Jesus is to worship him. You can never worship Jesus without knowing who he is. Now there's another camp into which people fall who hear the news of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They are the skeptics. I believe that every congregation has them, at least one of them, maybe several. I believe there might be some here this morning. Every congregation has some doubting Thomases. People who respond with skepticism whenever they hear anything about the resurrection. Because you see, they need hard proof. They need evidence. They need to be able to see and handle the evidence for themselves. And if they can't find the evidence, then they will not believe. Thomases are either too preoccupied with their own disappointments, their own hurts, their own disillusionment about life, to pay any heed whatsoever. They need proof. And so they need to see uh, Jesus' scars and they need to see the empty tomb and they need to be able to handle his body with their own hands before they in fact believe. But I want to say to something to you this morning. I want to say to you this morning that you have all the proof that you need. You have the empty tomb, but beyond that, you have the ability to reach out your hand in faith and touch Jesus. Experience him for yourself. Experience the power of his love as it transforms your life and transforms you from a skeptic into a believer so that you can finally say, as Thomas did when he in fact handled the evidence, my Lord and my God. Here's our second point this morning, that Jesus is Lord of all. He himself says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm sure that you've heard this saying that goes like this, to the victor go the spoils. That means that whoever has won the battle deserves the right to, the possession, to possess whatever there is, to everything in fact. And so rising from the dead is proof that Jesus has triumphed over the cross. He has triumphed over death, over hell, over the grave, over Satan, over injustice, over evil, over wickedness. He has triumphed. And, see, and he's Lord. Now that is the greatest confession anybody can ever make in this life, that Jesus is Lord. I'm told that that is a political statement. That... Queen Elizabeth 
It's not really Lord. The greatest presidents and kings and majesties that have lived are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the one who has all authority. He's in charge. And so all the great men of history, they may have had jurisdiction over some territories, over some things, but nobody has ever claimed to be Lord of all. The only person who has ever made that claim is Jesus Christ himself. The fact of the matter is one of these days, all kings and queens will cast their crowns before him and they will crown him, Jesus, Lord of all. All rulers and presidents and governors will one day bow before him. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this is the great message that God has given to us as a church to declare to the world that he is Lord, that he has all authority. And so we believe and we confess and we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And you know something else that we must do? We must boldly proclaim to people. We must do it boldly, but yet we must do it respectfully. We must let them know that they have one of two choices. They can either bow before him willingly now and confess him to be Lord, or they will forcibly one of these days bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 um, tell us this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this name that Jesus has been given that is above every other name is Lord, which means that he has all authority. Here's my third and final point. All believers have been called to action. This is what Jesus says. Go therefore, speaking to his disciples, his followers, the 11 of them who were there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now I want us to note this morning that the emphasis in these verses is not on going. The emphasis is on making. The command in this verse assumes that the disciples will be going to different places. They'll be going to Samaria and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost regions of the world. So the command is not to go. Jesus knows that they will go. But the command is, and this is the closest in the Greek, as you are going to these places, make disciples of all ethnos, all peoples. As you're going, make disciples. Now, you as well, you are already going, aren't you? You're going to uh, workplaces and business places and to the mall and to the gym and to the grocery place and to schools and colleges. You are already going. You're going to 
to banks and doctor's office and dentist offices uh, for dental visits. As you are going, make disciples. How then do you make disciples? By doing two things. By baptizing people and by teaching people. By baptizing people and teaching people. And so the proof that a person has believed in Jesus is their willingness to be baptized. Because baptism is how you demonstrate to the world that you really have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Just like your engagement, Wendy, uh, I'm sorry, Whitney, is, is, is kind of your step uh, and your acknowledgement and your demonstration to everybody that you're going to be getting married, so our baptism is a demonstration to the world of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so people must be baptized. Notice whose name they should be baptized in, though. Name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we are acknowledging that God is a triune God. One God, but he exists in three forms. Now the other thing that we ought to be doing is teaching believers to be obedient to everything that Jesus commanded us. That's called discipleship. Discipleship. And so baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and Christian discipleship should be the two main things that any church engages in. And we at Brown's Chapel, we have been called to engage in those two things. We have been called and mobilized into action by Jesus himself. We have the Easter message to share with people by whatever means allows them to hear and to respond. And when they respond, we are to baptize them and then disciple them in the Christian faith. I did tell you that that was my third and final point. I'm sorry. Here's a final point. Fourth point. It's a good point. And maybe there was a reason why I said that the, the other uh, point was my final one, because this point is to really get your attention. We can always count on the presence of Jesus. We can always count on the presence of Jesus. He himself says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now you and I know that when Jesus was physically present on earth, he was limited in terms of where he could be. He had a physical body. He could only be in one place at one time. However, when he rose triumphantly from the, the, the dead and ascended to the Father, he became unlimited. He could be anywhere and everywhere all at once. But here is where Jesus fulfilled an important promise that he had made to his disciples before he ascended to the Father. He had promised them that he would send them the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who would be with them wherever they went, and he would guide them into all truth. And so this is what he says to them in John chapter 16. This was even before he had been crucified. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So he's speaking about the fact that he's going to be crucified, he will be buried, he'll be risen from the dead, and he would ascend um, to the, the Father. 
But he's saying to them, it is your advantage, it is to your advantage that these things will happen, that I would in fact go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and that word is capitalized, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so the presence of Jesus will always be with you. The disciples were in fact able to count on this presence, the presence of Jesus with them. As they were being persecuted, as they were being hauled before magistrates and governors and imprisoned and persecuted because of their faith. The presence of Jesus was with them when the church experienced internal strife that was threatening to tear it apart. The presence of Jesus was with them when they experienced personal loss as well. The presence of Jesus was with them even when many of them were being dragged away to their death. And as we go through life, we too can always count on the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. He is risen and we must tell the world about it. I want to say a couple of things to you in closing. Let me just make sure it's three things before I tell you that this is the, the final one and then there's another. Yes. Three things I want to say to you in closing this morning. The first of which is this. Confess Jesus to be my Lord and my God. I want you to personal, this is a personal confession that I'm calling you to this morning. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth, meaning if you declare or if you speak with your mouth and say that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to ask you very boldly and very directly this morning, who will make this great confession of faith today? You who are here before me in person and you who are watching virtually, will you make this personal declaration, this personal confession that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I see that one hand is raised. I see that another hand has been raised. See, anybody this morning, anybody else wants to make that personal confession of faith, just let us know. And all we'll do is pray for you that, in fact, that happens for you. Amen. I see that third hand. We'll just linger for a few seconds more, just in case there's one other person that needs to do that. Let us pray together. And for those three persons who have raised their hands, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. I'm just asking that as I pray with you, you acknowledge that something is happening in your heart as Jesus is in fact doing that. God, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to make this confession 
that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God. I pray this morning, Lord, for those three persons who raise their hands in acknowledgement of the fact, Lord, that they're making that confession. God, we affirm them this morning, but we pray most importantly that the Holy Spirit would affirm this work that you are starting in their heart. That this work would continue. That, Lord, there would be ongoing and complete surrender to your Lordship. They would experience your personal forgiveness of their sins, the salvation that you offer. God, we bless them this morning and we ask your blessings upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to challenge those three of you who raised hands to tell somebody what Jesus did in your heart today and to allow the Holy Spirit to continue that work that he has started. The second thing I want to challenge you with this morning is to devote yourselves to making disciples for Jesus. Devote yourselves, the rest of your life, to making disciples for Jesus. Now please notice that the great call of the church is not necessarily to worship. We do that. That's a given. But the great call of the church is to make disciples of all people. And so Pastor Ben and myself, that is our responsibility as, as leaders to ensure that disciple-making is happening in our church. But I want to also say to you, because this call is not just to the pastors, this call is to disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I want to say to you this morning that if your life is not about making disciples, then you are not fulfilling God's plan for your life. You were quiet before, but you've gotten even quieter. <laughs> if your life is not about making disciples, uh, this is very serious, you're, you're not fulfilling God's plan for your life. Devote yourself to making at least one disciple. Because you see, the church of Jesus Christ, including this uh, part of it, can only grow as we are making disciples. As we are making disciples of our children, our spouses, our family members, our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, our classmates, even our enemies. That is our call. So I want to ask you this morning, who will devote themselves to making disciples of as many people as you can. This is the greatest occupation you can ever have. Can I see the hand of any who has ever made a disciple? Wow, you just had me for a moment there. I thought nobody was going to raise their hand. I saw only a few hands raised. Now that is very telling. So we have got to somehow make some changes in terms of how we look at life. We have got to get busy making disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's our third and final point. Be confident. Be confident that you serve an always present God. No matter what your circumstances, and life has a way of dealing us some interesting circumstances. 
Many of us who are in grief this morning, we certainly empathize with uh, Rhonda and Lynn and her family as they've just said goodbye to Rhonda's dad. There's grief among us. Some of us go through some really painstaking loss. Some of us sometimes get a world turned upside down. Situations are not quite as we would like them. Some of us experience success. Some of us experience failure. Sometimes we experience, um, you know, being in the, in, the, in the water. Sometimes we're in the fire. We have all kinds of experiences that test our faith. Sometimes we go through sickness. Sometimes we go through the valley of the shadow of death. This word assures us this morning that we can be confident that whatever our circumstances, we have an ever-present God who is with us and who empathizes with us. That is a great hope of the Christian faith. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. We thank you, God, for the privilege of having you as our personal Savior, Lord, and God. Today we reaffirm that commitment and that faith in you. And God, we recommit ourselves this morning to being disciple makers. God, I pray that you would remind us this week of how important it is to go out and make disciples of all people. God, the only way that we can do that is to, first of all, live exemplary lives before them so that they would listen to us when we, in fact, share the gospel with them. God, I pray that many of us would have stories next week of people who have, become, who have come to faith in Christ as a result of our sharing the gospel with them. And that we would commit ourselves to walking alongside them and to disciple them in the faith and to teach them scripture so that their faith in you can become strong. Thank you again, Lord, that we can have confidence in you, that wherever we are and whatever we experience, God is with us. Give you thanks for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.